0: Now encoding transmission. Transmission encoding completed. Have you often found yourself wondering about the unsolved mysteries and weirdness that surround them all? Now, I'm not saying it's definitely aliens, but it's definitely aliens you're listening to three girls one cape can you handle the truth
1: we are here to entertain you to bring you some spooky ass shit
0: are we keeping it spooky and we're keeping it weird too
1: always weird and spooky coming from the three of us which brings us to our show hello there folks I am Rachel Clovis, and I am here with the letter V. Yes,
0: the one and only. And
1: Miss Mara Rose. Hey guys, how's it going? And we are three girls, one cape, and we're about to get real serial with you guys about the state of Vermont, okay?
0: Vermont.
1: There's a lot of lore and haunted locations in Vermont and we're yeah.
0: cryptids
1: and cryptids and we're gonna discuss yeah uh, and
0: we're gonna talk beyond the maple syrup orgies and get down to business well,
1: I, you're not supposed to you're not supposed to talk about that that's people aren't don't, people don't know about that. <laughs> that's a conspiracy theory <laughs> <sighs> hmm.
0: well i mean it's a sticky situation so
1: it is a sticky situation
0: yes yes but
1: You know what is in a sticky situation? Uh, The first topic that we're going to talk about, who is the Northfield pig man? And I don't want anyone to get him confused with man bear pigs. (laughs) The pig man, or pig men in general, are actually a species or cryptid of their own.
0: Mm. Mm -hmm. And
1: often... The pig man is a person or somebody who has, like, a human-like body except it's covered in white hair. It either has human feet, pig feet, depending on where the exact topic or the, you know, story comes from. But this thing that is always, you know, kind of the creepiest is that the person either looks like a pig, has a pig face, or It's wearing a pig head. Mm. So in Vermont, this is where uh, this legend kind of starts. In the 1950s, a kid named Sam Harris was last seen on the night before All Hallows Eve, which is known as Mischief Night. And he was last seen with a basket of eggs And nobody really knows what happened to him. People kind of, you know, had their stories that they would share in their inner circles. But, I mean, still to this day, nobody knows what happens to him. So move forward to 1971. There's a school dance and there's some, you know, the cool kids outside. They're drinking, they're smoking, probably microdosing on acid, you know, and they see this man covered in white hair who's wearing, or who has a pig over his head. Like a pig face over his head. And so, of course, they're rightly freaked out. So they run into the school dance. And this is like the first known case of the pig man.
0: Sounds like something straight out of American Horror Story. Yeah, I
1: mean, I think that might have been, uh, you know, where that kind of came from. But, I mean, obviously, I don't know uh, what the inspiration was. But, yeah, it was something very similar to, like, that guy that kept showing up in, I think it was Roanoke, right?
0: Yeah, I hated that season. Um,
1: I wasn't a fan either. I liked it. See, you know, I settle. Um, (laughs) Anyways, so the kids like a lot of teenagers ended up kind of hanging out by this place called devil's washbowl in Vermont. And in this area, they noticed that there was like a lot of bones being found in like the caves by the devil's washbowl. So the kids kind of, or like the people in the area kind of were like, Oh, that's where the pig man lives, you know? And these group of teenagers went out there to camp out for the night and, the story goes is that it was just like a bunch of couples, like four groups of like four or five groups of couples, uh, that went out there to, you know, have some snooky time. And they got a real shock when one, one of the couples went off into one of the caves where they were gonna set up for the night. As they were setting up, it the story goes that's when the pig man showed up and he attacked the boyfriend and the girlfriend was so terrified that she like curled up into a little ball and just was in shock. Like she couldn't say anything. And in some stories, the boy ends up getting killed. So he's just dead. And then the pig man walks out of the cave and in others, other like tales, the pig man brings him with him. So there's no body. So he just disappears and he goes out the entrance of this cave and then that same entrance of the cave where he goes out of, the friends come rushing in and the girl's not saying anything and he's either dead or he's missing. There's two, or I mean, there's like a couple different, you know, tales to the story. So who knows how, you know what you mean, obviously. That's kind of the thing with lore that, you know, through the years there's different variations of it. So, you know, they they can't find him or... While they're looking, they notice these drag marks and in the clay, they can see these hooves that, you know, nobody saw before, but they never see the the pig man walking out. And in the most recent or like the there's a story about this man who saw this flyer at a gas station of a missing boy and he later went home and I'm not sure how much time exactly had passed at this point, but he heard something in his trash just, you know, going through his trash. So he went out there and he turned on the floodlights. And to his surprise, there was a man covered in white hair who had very sunken in kind of dead looking eyes. But he said it looked exactly like the the lost poster that he had seen you know, in the weeks previous to what had happened and he was rifling through the trash, which was something that had happened previously and the kind of the pig man was known for. So who really knows what's happening in Northfield, Vermont? Have you had an encounter with a pig man? You should share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. We're not interested in stories from Al Gore. We've gotten several emails about Man, bear, pig, not something we're trying to cover. We want substantial pig man sightings.
0: Yes, even though this pig man kind of reminds me a lot more of like a, maybe like a warthog. Because it's so aggressive. Maybe. You know. But who
1: knows, I mean, you know who really
0: knows who knows i've
1: never seen a pig man have you ever seen a pig
0: man i've never seen a pig man definitely not he he hasn't shown up at any of my barbecues
1: well that's good that's good that's we should like to keep it that way yeah
0: well i'm gonna talk about Something that's been listed as one of the most top 10 most horrifying disasters that has ever happened in the state of Vermont.
1: Okay. All right. I mean, that sounds sad, but I mean, I'm always up for a good story.
0: Yeah, it, it's pretty sad. It's like unfortunate, yeah. you know? Um, so
1: probably people are going to be dying.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 People Spoiling. died. Sorry. People died. People definitely died. But, you know, the uh they have done a lot of different things with railroads nowadays. So I don't really see this happening again. Right. You know, of course, unless ghosts make it happen. But uh anyways, we're gonna talk about the Hartford railroad disaster. Of, uh, 1887.
1: Ooh, girl, tell me about that railroad disaster.
0: Well, it happened in, in February, actually, February 5th of 1887. This train was scheduled to meet a Montreal train in Randolph, but it was 20 minutes behind schedule. There was this bridge crossing that it was approaching, you know, and supposedly they say that... He slowed down enough, but from what it sounds like on my end, this motherfucker was going too fast, too furious, and, um, yeah, then, you know, things took a turn for the worse. Oh, no. Um, something that was really interesting about the structure of the bridge, right, is that it had this layer of sheet iron on top of the wooden trestles and that was initially put there to prevent any sparks or fires. Yet it played a huge part in the ultimate demise of the entire bridge and the train. The train came completely off the rails. The bridge began began to fall apart As the train was falling off of the bridge and catching fire. So this whole entire thing, as you can imagine, like, setting the scene, you're on a train bridge, and this turn was taken a little too sharply, and they lost, like, the end cart.
1: Yeah, so shit's just getting, like, fucked up. Everything's probably, like, on
0: fire. (laughs) So it's like, the end cart fell off the track, started falling, the rest of the train started falling, started fire, the bridge started breaking apart, like, you know, like, it's a fucking shit show. Damn. So, like, (laughs) it's definitely not, like anything where it's like oh my god like this was a horrific accident yet i am very surprised to say of a hundred in i think it was like 115 passengers yeah 28 people walked away from this disaster completely unscratched
1: well that's good
0: uh, 50 were severely injured and 37 died and it's the worst train track in the history of the entire state and then it's on like i said it's on the list of the top 10 most horrific disasters that have happened in vermont so wow yeah you can see why but there's a few reports of like where the where the wreck happened of s- screaming you know right. screams of burning people which you would imagine and the sound of a train hmm. coming off the rails even though that area has not had a train go through it since
1: Ooh, spooky yeah that is yeah. definitely well i'm glad i wasn't on that train
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) right (laughs) sounds
1: like
0: like at that shit like you know
2: that's definitely a horrific accident
0: there definitely
2: can see why it's you know one of vermont's most known worst train accidents let alone accidents in general Mm mm-hmm so Another uh, popular story that, you know, is relevant in Vermont is the legend surrounding Lake Bos- Bomoseen. I apologize if I butchered that, but it is known as the largest lake in Vermont and is a still a popular site for locals and tourists, whether they're ice fishing, boating, you know, swimming, you know, there's plenty to do. And as long as the lake's been, you know, inhabited, uh, there have been stories of ghosts, arguably the most popular legend, taking place in the 1800s in the now-abandoned town of West Castleton. So this story includes a few Irish immigrant slate workers who... Regularly uh, boated across the lake to go to from their work home to this popular tavern, and uh, one night the the men were last seen leaving the tavern and getting in a rowboat, and then the next morning only the rowboat was found. So now uh, there have been sightings of an empty rowboat um, going across the lake at night. Usually, people who have these sightings report it during a full moon. So there seems to be a pattern with that. And then another key detail that's come out of these sightings, and a consistent one at that, is that even though the boat is rowing, there's no sounds. Like there's no water splashing. There's just the lake is um is on un- but is uh, idle. Oh, that's super. That's really
1: interesting. Maybe it's like a residual haunting since it's kind of the same things are getting seen.
2: It seems like mm-hmm. no, I didn't definitely. I could I I think that's like probably the best would be the best explanation for that,
1: right? So the next location we're going to talk about is the Bennington Triangle, which is an area that a lot of people, within five years, five people go missing in this, like, little area. And it was coined that by this New England author, Joseph A. Citro, during, like, a broadcast on a show somewhere, or, like, a show about the area of Vermont. So it's kind of known as, like... A ghost town almost where like it was once in in, like not necessarily uh, like super, super thriving, but it was like moderately thriving with logging and industrial towns. But then that just started to decline towards the 19th century, which by 1937, it was unincorporated by a state legislature. So it technically legally is a ghost town. I'm going to briefly talk about the disappearances add my two cents into them because i've done a like a little bit of research so the first one is Mitty rivers and this is in 1945 he disappeared in the bennington area on november 12th he was a 74 year old man he was out hunting with his son and some of his son's friends when you know he decided to go off from the group and you know go in a different direction and the son didn't really want him to because, you know, he figured, you know, something could happen. He could get hurt. But he knew that his father was really stubborn and just kind of was going to eventually do it anyways. So he ended up, you know, letting him go off. And then he got worried when he, you know, didn't end up coming back by, like, nightfall because he was supposed to leave by lunch. And he was like, oh, he maybe just lost track of time. But once he it got to nightfall... Um, you know, they alerted the state police and there's like this massive search and um, there was pretty much almost no evidence. Their only thing that they ended up finding was a single rifle cartridge that could have been his. Like there, it was from the same gun, but they're not 100 percent certain on whether or not it was, you know, definitely his. And then in... Nineteen forty six, Paula Weldon um was last seen on December first. She was a sophomore at Bennington College and she had been last seen when she was set out for a hike on the long trail, which the reason it's called the Long Trail is because it goes all the way to Canada. She was wearing a like red jacket. It was waterproof, but not very thick, and jeans. And she was last seen on the actual long trail. So that's how they know that it was there. But she definitely for in December, you know, wearing like a thinner jacket and jeans to go on a long trail. She didn't have any, you know, a backpack with her or anything else. So, you know, definitely a little weird. And once she was reported missing one, you know, the next day, Roommate noticed that she had never been home or never came back, which was very unusual. And shortly after that, her father came down and, you know, they spent days, they had, you know, let the kids off from, you know, college to help look for her. And they never ended up turning anything up. And then her father... Kind of thought that maybe she might have been kidnapped because he was like a pretty prominent businessman. So there's a possibility that like, you know, he could have. So he contacted the FBI, but they didn't really, you know, there there's no evidence to prove that she was kidnapped. So they didn't end up helping him. Um And he ended up hiring a pi- private investigator. And he like re-interviewed the witnesses and... His theory was that she might have went on a – like, actually went on the opposite and then just kind of the opposite trail and the opposite direction, not actually heading towards Canada, and then just ended up getting lost and, you know, is somewhere in the woods and, unfortunately, at this point, dead because, you know, it's been, like, two weeks. So, yeah. it, you know, in December in Vermont, you're not going to last very long, especially somebody who's, like – unexperienced in hiking. So I don't think actually that this one is because so there's a couple of them. The first one obviously definitely this guy goes missing. He's kind of an older man so it could be anything. He could have fallen. He could have gotten hurt. You know this next one with her in the research that I had done. her, I had read a couple of interviews where her roommate said that she was kind of distant. She didn't end up going home for Thanksgiving, even though her parents had sent her money to go home for Thanksgiving break. Hmm. And she was kind of struggling with deciding cause she wanted to change her major from something to botany. And it was like, not what her parents wanted her to do. So I think that this one could have been that she might have just disappeared, or, you know, she was picked up very possibly by... Someone who was following her and noticed that she was, you know, going out on these walks down this trail by herself. And as you mm. know, obviously, in Vermont, you know, the it's very dense woods, et cetera, et cetera. So, mm-hmm. you know, you never yeah, know. You really is. never know who's watching you. And, like, and then... In 1949, James Tedford went missing exactly a year after Paula Weldon. Witnesses say he took a bus to see his girlfriend in, like, a couple towns over because he lived at a, like, retirement community. So he got back on the bus, so, like, the people, the witnesses say. And then uh, when they ended up back at the bus station like where he was supposed to you know get off at the like the end of the road they noticed that his baggage was still there and there was a brochure opened Hmm. up but he wasn't there
0: huh that's weird
1: right so they actually didn't end up even reporting him missing until like a week after the fact because the it was kind of like The nursing home thought he was with the family and the family thought he was at the nursing home. And then they eventually contacted the family and was like, hey, like, is your dad coming back? And then they were like, "Uh, he left like a week ago. So the next person to go missing was Paul Jensen in 1950. He was an eight year old boy who went missing while his mother was tending to the pigs. She had asked him to stay in the car Because the weather uh, was really bad. And then when she returned, he wasn't there. And the weird thing about this case is they ended up bringing in a uh, bloodhound. Her name was Queenie. And she tracked his scent to, like, a curve in the road. Like, a two-way in the road. And then, like, they weren't able – she was never able to, like, pick it up anywhere else. So – they think that he might have gotten kidnapped or possibly, you know, got into the car with somebody that he thought he could trust. Jeez. And then the next person that goes missing is Frida Langer in 1950. This is the fifth and the last disappearance. And it actually happened 16 days act- after the boy, Paul Jepsen, went missing and it was on October 28th. She was 53 and her and her family, um, you know, had this campsite. They were on going on a hike like her and um, maybe it was her fiance or her brother. I can't remember. And they went looking, you know, to do something on this hike and she ended up falling in a brook. So she wasn't too far from the campsite. So she went back to change so and like was supposed to come right back and then a lot of time had passed. So, you know, he ended up just thinking, oh, maybe she went back to camp and fell asleep or something like that. So he ended up coming back to camp. But when he got there, she was nowhere to be found. And the person who was there, her cousin, was like, no, she never came back. You know, So, yeah. you know, she just kind of disappeared. And there actually was a huge search. ...for this that went over two weeks. They involved, you know, aircraft, helicopters, up to 300 searcher, and there was no trace found of her. And then on May 12th, 1951, her body was found near Somerset Reservoir and had been... ...even though that that area had been extensively searched previous, and no cause of death could be determined because of the condition of her remains... So, fuck. yeah, which I think that that one is definitely the weirdest one, because that's the only one that, like, the body was actually found. And it was, like, supposedly found in an area that was very, you know, like, searched, like, thoroughly, because it was, you know, kind of close to where the campsite was. Yeah. There's also been some reports of UFO activity and bigfoot activity in the bennington triangle which i mean we'll get into a little later about the extensive bigfoot activity but you know definitely the first the two with the older men old timer with the like in living in the retirement community he probably just ran away because he hated living in the retirement community or something like that you know i mean just wanted to start a new life so and then like i said the paula weldon i definitely think that she could have very possibly killed herself um just because she was struggling with you know some type of mental health issues it seemed to be or like at least she was very depressed so mm-hmm. who knows
0: that's crazy
1: yeah That is wicked crazy you know we're moving on to the next topic
0: we're gonna talk about the covered bridge road over gold brook also known as the gold Brook tunnel and also infamously and famously throughout Stowe, vermont is emily's bridge who's this bitch yeah well this place has um put itself right on the map for Stowe, vermont it's a uh, quite a hot spot for supernatural enthusiasts when passing through the town of stone and it's a tale about the heartbroken spirit of Emily, who was a young girl, probably from the mid eighteen hundreds. The bridge was built in eighteen forty four and fifty foot long bridge, supposedly Emily was um uh, Going to meet her dick appointment at the bridge, but he never showed up.
1: Yeah, try to get that WAP.
0: Yeah, yeah. He never showed up, so she hung herself in the tunnel. Oh,
1: that's, that's a little, you
0: know. Yeah. She was so hurt by him not showing up for that WAP that she's like, all right, well, I guess it's over him. So that's how the story goes, but the reason why it's so famous is because of the hauntings of this tortured soul, this heartbroken spirit. And she's also quite aggressive. She's not nice. She's a mean bitch. Yeah, Yeah, she's a mean bitch. Leaves, like, claw-like gouges down the sides of cars, hanging out by the tunnel. But just like she's like, oh hell no! Like now you show up, now you try to show up. I'm already dead. Like I'm a key a car, and she also has been known. Many people have reported, um, like if they were jogging through or if they were walking through the tunnel, um. They've came out of there with bloody scratches on their backs. Damn. Yeah. There's also been claims of loosely dragging feet on the roof of cars. And a lot of people have made claims of hearing an eerie voice from inside of the tunnel. Uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah. It's made it a supernatural hotspot, so it's like everybody goes and checks out Emily's Tunnel. They got postcards and shit all over the place, all throughout the whole entire town.
1: Yeah, it's probably one of its main uh, sources of income.
0: Yeah, probably, probably, you know, because everybody's like, all right, well, I'm going to go have my card fucked up by this heartbroken bitch who's upset because there's a dick appointment never showed
1: right mm-hmm. yeah I think um cause there's like obviously there's many Emily's and there's many bridges of hers but yes. yeah the story pretty much always stays the same that sometimes half yep. ends up heartbroken and then killing either throwing herself off the fridge or hanging herself or you know something like yeah. that to that nature
0: Yep, so that's the, the gold brick tunnel. Very interesting. Yes, very
1: interesting.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah. You know, but I do want to say as a disclaimer that I hope nobody out there is hanging themselves over a dick appointment. It's okay. Yeah, there's other dicks yes. out there. Yeah, there's other dicks. You could buy some of Rachel's bath bomb dicks. They were fantastic. Oh, well, I'm glad you enjoyed my bomb dick. <laughs> I did. They were
2: fantastic. I loved them. And speaking of bomb dick, no, I'm just, I'm just teasing. But we're gonna be talking about. Well, I'll be talking about the Shelburne Museum, located in Shelburne, Vermont. It was founded in 1947 by the owner Electric Electrica, sorry. Have Meyer Webb. And uh, this was one of her homes. She owned uh, another resident or res- residence in um, New York as well and inside this home was a plethora of artifacts, art and other Relics from classic Americana and even some French art. And so over the years, she and the museum collected various relics really with this time period, including uh, structures such as uh, stagecoaches, a lighthouse, barns, etc., But there's been this one particular building that has been a hot spot for ghosts. And this building is known as the Dunton House. So, um, the Dunton House has origins in uh, another part of Vermont. It was built in 1782 and uh, was later donated to the museum in 1950. And inside this red New England colonial... Are tots of spirits. One particular spirit that does not want to, you know, continue to the other side, and this spirit has even spooked some of the staff there who refuse to enter the Denton House. Now, uh, some of the stories that have circulated from these from these sightings include an older man, a struffy older man who. One witness, at least one witness saw it on the roof. All right. So anyway, so one saw him on the roof and then another witness heard a little girl crying in the Dunton House. And so yep, yeah, that wraps up the that little sweet chapter about, you know, the Shellbird Museum or specifically the Dunton House. Now, like I said, its staff members are some of its staff members are, were afraid of entering that Dunton House. But would you be able to, to enter? Please tell us in, you know, in emails. Comments. Or if you've had your own experience. At yeah, the museum, maybe that's some place sure? that we can go to.
1: So next we're going to talk about the Abernacky Cursed Springs. Or they're better known as the Brunswick Springs. Um, Ripley's, believe it or not, actually said that these were the eight wonder of the world because they actually were known to have healing powers. And they were six separate springs that all combined into the uh, Connecticut River. And so anyways, so the six springs were iron, calcium, magnesium, sulfur, bromide, and arsenic. But the arsenic wasn't enough to kill you, it just was, you know, a little bit of it. And so this flew or this flow, these springs flowed all the way down to the Connecticut River. So in 1784, there was a battle kind of near this area, and this British soldier ended up getting hurt, and the Native Americans brought him there where he drank the water and then he was healed. And, you know, before this, the Native Americans had used, you know, the healing springs, you know, anybody could use them. They were for everybody. So word eventually got out and the people wanted to use the healing water for profit. And there was this fight that ended up breaking out. You know, the Natives ended up losing two of the people in their community. And one of them was a young boy and his mother was the a- abernathy shaman. And she put a curse, curse, because it's not really a curse. Um, she just said, you know, anyone who tried to use the springs to profit, they would end up being ruined or like they would never be able to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, have a successful business in eighteen thirty two the first house was built, you know, kind of near this spring thirty so odd years later in nineteen sixty the Brunswick spring house was built, and he eventually added a ger hotel in nineteen or eighteen ninety four and when he made it or like tried to upgrade it, it ended up burning down so He ended up rebuilding it, and shortly after he rebuilt, he died, and the land was sold to Josh Hutchins, not to be concerned with, or confused with, Josh Hutcherson. He renamed the hotel the Pinecrest Lodge, and in three years, there were three fires in this hotel. In 1929, there was a fire, another in 1930- And then the last one in 1931. Then he decided to finally uh, give up and not rebuild anything on the springs. Um, And today it's known if you try to take water or sell anything you take from the property that you therefore will not prosper and you will have the Apernacki Curse. Mm. And that is... The Abernacky Spring or the Cursed
2: Spring of Brunswick. That was very interesting.
1: Yeah, I just thought it was mm. interesting how, like, all these, like, because literally, I saw pictures of it. So it's, like, literally six separate springs that all connected to, like, flow down. And there's still the structure from all of the, you know, hotels, like mm. the foundations and stuff like that there to this day. But, um, and there's still, like, the stairs that go down to the actual water. But at one point, one of the hotels had the bath water. So all the bath water for the hotel or the, and the water you were drinking came from this natural spring. So, like, they were charging, like, top dollar, you know, to these people to so they could get a little taste of these healing springs. But who knows? Is there a curse? Was it just, you know... That area, mm. they were doing stupid stuff, and you know, the early 1920s, that you know, things were just burning down every time. Damn, yeah, it's quite a story.
0: Well, you know, it could be worse. Poor family of hill farmers, oh no, and decide a crazy idea that people. Have claimed to be true, but I don't know. This one's pretty out there.
1: Yeah, this one is pretty out there.
0: This one is pretty out there. I think the people
1: can handle it, though, so.
0: Yeah. So this supposed true story was reported back in December 21st, 1887, 1887 to the Montpelier Argus and Patriot. Mm,
1: That sounds like a lot of words for a paper.
0: Yeah, but they put this out there after somebody discovered a relative's diary and they supposedly witnessed all of these events that I'm about to explain. Uh, This person documented apparently the rituals that this poor family of hill farmers had when they were dealing with a very harsh winter that they didn't have enough supplies to be able to uh, handle for themselves and you know they were trying to figure out their rations so you know what they decided they decided that they were going to freeze the elderly and the weak members in the family and basically put them on ice until springtime.
1: What did they do at springtime?
0: Like, like they froze them. They drug them up. They froze their bodies for like a four-month period out in the snow. Oh. Right? Right. And then they thawed them out in the spring. And supposedly, they came back. Oh, that's
1: actually fucking amazing.
0: Right? like, they were like, we don't have enough food. We don't have enough supplies for everybody in this house. We're gonna freeze you guys. So they froze six of their family members alive. Okay? Yeah,
1: that's crazy.
0: They they had them, they stripped them down to, like, one garment after giving them a bunch of drugs to basically induce them into, like, a coma, right? And then once they were unconscious, they put them outside, and, like, the things that I was reading from, like, these archives, like, the descriptions of the frozen bodies Yeah the way they were talking about how they looked under the moonlight just sounds like... Super creepy. ...chilling. <laughs> it's Super creepy. They just say, like, All right, we're going to put you guys outside now and let your bodies freeze, basically. And then they went back out. Then they're like, All right, yeah, they're frozen. Let's put some boxes around them. And stuck the, stick them all in these boxes with hay.
1: That's crazy.
0: And then box them up so that no predators bother their bodies, you know. Yeah. And then, like, all the snow and the snow drifts and everything kept them cold. Kept them on ice, you know, so they stayed frozen. And then they kept them in there until May. And they... You know, dug them out from these snow drifts and under these snow barriers and everything and placed them into steaming baths and basically just, like, thawed them out, whereas, like, you know, rubbing them until they supposedly just returned to life.
1: So they just, like, put them by the fire and then they just, you know... Came back to life. <laughs> they but, thought them out. Yeah, they thought.
0: They put them, them, out. them in a hot bath. Put them in a hot bath. And it's like, all right, they're going to wake up. Like, watch. It's kind of like if they treated them like fish.
1: Hmm. Interesting. You know, like that's actually... what it made me
0: think of when. They were when I was watching this because I was like, What the fuck? I was like, This kind of makes me think of like what happens when, like, you see a frozen turtle or something in a pond. Like, they just end up hibernating. Hmm. And then when it thaws, they're like, I'm on, I'm back. (laughs) So that's the frozen people of these hill farmers like it's crazy it's crazy supposedly it really happened you know
1: yeah i mean i think we covered it on the urban legends one that we originally did that they we like briefly talked about it because that was the one from vermont like the craziest urban legend
2: like the most popular well and speaking of crazy urban legends i have vermont's answer to nessie otherwise known as champ now for those who don't know champ champ is named after Lake champlain which was named after the european explorer who you know discovered it despite the fact that, you know, Native Americans have been there for over, you know, centuries. So what, a- anyway, so it was named after him and one of the great lakes, and, uh, so this creature's uh, mythology dates back further than when the first European settlers came to um, this area, going back to the, the natives who lived within this area, the Abenaki and Iroquois, to be it's that. And uh, the Indians had uh, described this creature as being snake-like, being a gigantic snake, and uh, they referred to it as the Stag, if I'm pronouncing that right, which I'm probably not. And then, um, despite the fact that uh, Samuel D. Champlain has been... uh, you know, reported as the first European to have a sighting of Champ. This has been since disproven. But his uh, description of of the creature is pretty intriguing as it described its head as being two fists too big, its body being five feet long and having double rows of sharp teeth. And so historians have taken Champlain's description of the creature, and they actually have uh, considered it to be, you know, they've, they've uh, they noticed that it matched uh, the description of a garfish, since it was pretty similar. However, of course, you know, a garfish is only is not that big, so it would be a very much bigger version of said fish, right? Yes, and uh, and by the year nineteen ninety two sightings of the creature were so re- relevant that by that time there was over 180 sightings and w- by the turn of the century it's uh, it's even double that and the popularity ubiquitous ubiquitousness of champ has gone so far that there have been even protective measures taken to ensure its safety um a couple of uh resolutions passed during the early 80s from 1982 to 1983 to ensure that champ was forever protected in the lake of uh in lake champlain oh wow that's actually i've heard like of places
1: doing that before where like there's some places that like bigfoot's protected like you can't Mm -hmm. shoot a
2: bigfoot which is saying shouldn't be shooting bigfoot yeah but i mean that's definitely saying something no, absolutely. And so, yep, that's, our, that's my little tale about our buddy, Champ. Yeah, I think that Champ's a fun guy, you know what I yeah. mean? He just, sees Nessie's
1: cousin, he just wants to chill and, yeah. like, to see. There's no one's ever been attacked by him, right?
2: I, I did not come across any uh, accounts of attacks. So. Well, that's
1: good. So, yeah, hopefully, you know, he's not out there. Attacking people's
2: wives, you know,
1: whatever champs do in their free time. I feel
2: champ is doing well
1: for themselves. Right, right. So moving on, we're going to talk about Bigfoot sightings in Vermont and one of those specific sightings. So in all, there has been a total of 10 Bigfoot sightings in Vermont. Which, in all honesty, I think that's kind of a low number. And I want to talk about one specifically that happened actually a little bit more recently and was featured on the show Finding Bigfoot, which is a very popular show on the History Channel. or Yeah, I think it's the History Channel. Or the Travel Channel. It's one of those channels. So, anyways, I digress. So, I have sent you both the picture, um, and the picture is a picture, the first one is one of a, like, fox on this trail cam, because, trail cam, because something kept eating all of the apples. So, he, like, dumped a bunch of apples on the ground and set up this trail camera, and he caught this creature so in the first what the fuck in the first picture you see like the size of like a little coyote you know in the area Mm -hmm. and then in the next picture is the bigfoot like creature now if you zoom in towards the lower bottom part of this picture there is something that almost looks like a set of eyes and people think that that is actually a baby bigfoot oh.
0: i was about to say
1: and that's the mama bigfoot and a lot of people are saying that possibly the spottiness on the skin could possibly be some form of mange but if bigfoot are very close to human it could be something um known as i think it's alocasia where or some where the skin like people get those white patches on their skin or like lighter Mm -hmm. patches uh you know like kind of where like the pigment disappears so they just have very like white you know, abrupt spots all over their body. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I definitely think because obviously we can talk about all of the cases that have happened there. But I think this is like honestly like one of the better pictures because they even tried to recreate it with um, poor Bobo because he's so he is very large back then. Like um, and even when he kneels down, he's like six foot seven or something like that. It's still, like, this creature is still, like, bulkier and, like, just, yeah, so much bulkier than he is. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll post that picture for everyone to check out, definitely on the Facebook, because,
0: you know. I think it looks like it's, like, it looks like she's carrying a child. Yeah, that,
1: that's exactly, yeah. yeah, like, if you yeah. if you zoom in on that little bottom, like, it literally looks like she has a baby, like, holding it in her arm and then she's mm-hmm. leaning down with the other arm to get the to pick apples. up the apples
0: yeah yep. that's exactly what it looks like
1: yeah very very interesting little uh topic uh, we had there huh
0: mm-hmm. that's
1: very interesting yeah Mar- mara was like what is that <laughs> does gary mara no, kind of <laughs> and next on our list V's going to take it away with some spooky stories about a cemetery or something specific in a cemetery, I believe.
0: Yes. Oh, yes. We're going to touch base on Black Agnes. And let me tell you now, Black Agnes is not the only Black Agnes. And every single one of them has their own tales. There's very similar statues of Black Agnes that can be found across the country. Chicago, Maryland, West Virginia, and each of, one of them has their own legends and tales. But this one can be found in Montpelier, Vermont, on the grave of John Hubbard. Wow. And according to... The legend of Black Agnes is that when you sit in her arms or lap at midnight under a full moon... Yeah. I like the um, sound of this. Whoever does this, you will die within seven days and you will take seven friends with you. But let's talk about John Hubbard okay okay where this grave is this is his grave this is his grave and um he was a greedy bastard
1: Uh oh tell me about it
0: okay yeah um he was a young man who preferred easy money than honest money don't we
1: all though (laughs) i'm
2: just kidding
0: and he pulled a fast one on his aunt's inheritance, Uh-oh. swindling the rightful recipients the rightful recipients out of the hundreds of thousands of dollars in the late eighteen hundreds. Oh
1: shit! So yeah, that was like a lot of money then.
0: Yeah, well, it was uh, Fanny Hubbard Kellogg, who was leaving a three hundred thousand dollar estate to the city of Montpelier. When he heard about it, he was like, oh, hell no. I'm going to take that money. Right. So he staged, like, um, probate documents using his own duped relatives, and he claimed the inheritance as his own, um, which enraged the entire city council and everything, and setting off a major battle in court. Of course, the city, in the end, decided to strike a compromise and letting him keep the pro, like the place, and his share of cash. If he would pay, Montpelier Town Lombard, and uh, he agreed. Hmm. And he paid around like thirty grand, and he told them that. He wanted them to name it after him. So that's why we have the Kellogg-Harvard Library.
1: Interesting. Very interesting story. Yeah. At first I thought it might have to do with the Kellogg brothers. And then it always brings me back to that episode of Drunk History where Owen Wilson and Luke Wilson play (laughs) the Kellogg brothers. And it's literally the most amazing thing I uh, I think I've ever witnessed in my <laughs> entire life. Just because, yeah, you well, know, it's a very special experience.
0: <laughs> well, he did die a few years later oh, of no. liver cancer. Um, but the story didn't end there. Hubbard's funeral monument at the Greenmount Cemetery took the form of um, Greek mythology's most famous figures, Um, uh, Thanatos, I think I'm saying that correctly.
1: Yeah, I'm not 100% sure.
0: And this is who we have, Black Agnes, you know. Mm Mm-hmm. The lady wearing a black shroud, and um, she's basically a personification of death. Interesting. So um, that's why the tale goes if you sit in her lap at midnight on a full moon, you're basically
1: asking, turning it. over
0: your soul. And also allowing her to collect on the souls of those nearest to you. Hmm. Jeez. Yeah. Seriously. But that's just this black Aggie. There's tons of others. So yeah, that's everybody. Kind of has their
1: own local legend, and so who knows? And if you have your own local legend that you want to share with us, feel free to shoot us an email. Or
2: shoot us a yeah. message on Facebook. Yes, we appreciate that. So I have another Vermont legend, of course. And this is the legend of Johnny Seesaw. So the John, legend of Johnny Seesaw began with Ivan Seesaw, who is a Russian logger. And he opened what was then known as the Wonderview Log Pavilion. And this was a hopping joint back in the 1920s because this was during a period of prohibition. So there is drinking there, there was dances and gambling. And then um, Ivan would then, was also known as Johnny, hence Johnny Seesaw. And so unfortunately for Ivan, or Johnny as he was known, uh, he lost a dance hall in a poker game and the dance hall, among the other buildings in the pavilion, would remain vacant, it would be sold and remain vacant for nearly a decade until a decade later when a couple, Bill and Mary Parish, purchased the pavilion in 1938 and renovated it and it would become known as one of America's first ski lodges and was later referred to as Johnny Seesaw's. Within the span of four decades, uh, Johnny Seesaw would pay host to a U.S. president, Charles Lindbergh, and other distinguished historical and societal figures in America. The concept of an army sea troops began at Johnny Seesaws, and this was during the beginnings of World War II. In 2014 and 2015, uh, it was later auctioned, but uh, due to... It not being salvageable, um, it would later remain untouched until uh, 2018 when it was later taken down. Hmm. And since then, um, there have been new owners of Johnny Seesaw, and it's been reopened to the pu- to the public. And you know, yeah. So like a so not a spooky or paranormal story, but a legend nonetheless. Yeah. I
1: mean, at least it had a very, like, impactful part on, like, actual history, mm-hmm. not on like, in Vermont. Absolutely. So that's definitely, you know, pretty cool, pretty cool. Yeah. All right, so moving on, we have the UFO sightings in Vermont, and it's actually not as much as I would have thought for the area according to the ufo reporting center database there's 444 sightings in vermont most recently there's a report that happened right around the beginning of around 9 45 p.m on september 30th of this year 2020 And it says, I witnessed a bright illuminated object with a greenish tint move rapidly and silently from north to south in a straight line across a portion of the sky over Rutland, Vermont. The object appeared to have a distinct shape and hard edges appeared to be like glowing hockey pucks, space discs stacked on top of one another and moving in tandem. I could not determine if the upper and lower structures of the object were connected, but it moved as one solid object. The object did not have the running lights of an aircraft and moved much quicker than I am accustomed to seeing conventional aircraft move across the sky at low or high altitudes. It did not leave any kind of glowing or fiery trail in its wake, and it did not appear to be falling from the sky. It moved horizontally in complete silence. I could not judge the distance or altitude and only had the object in my field of view for a few seconds. Comparatively speaking, from my vantage point, the object appeared to be about 25% the size of the full moon and much bigger than any visible planets or stars that night. So definitely, I mean, even for such a, you know, short kind of run in with this UFO, that was a lot of detail, you know. Yeah. Definitely very interesting. And that's it.
0: Huh. Well, I'm going to bring us over to the creepy history behind the Brattleboro Retreat. Mm tower, um, and it was uh built in 1834 as the vermont asylum for the insane and it was like a ten thousand dollar gift that was initially meant to always be a loony bin oh yeah yeah it was always intended for that purpose so it wasn't something like before and then they turned it into that no it was always that from the gecko it sits on a thousand acres all right Mm -hmm. it's it's absolutely stunning it's actually really beautiful property i'm looking at some pictures we'll get some pictures up on the on the page for everybody Uh, Because this place is really beautiful. It's really nice, you know. And actually 600 of that 1,000 acres is in the uh, National Register of Historic Places. Mm. And it got added to that in uh, 1984 was when they did that. The institution based its philosophies on the humane treatment. ...of mentally ill patients, so they were treated with dignity. Mm-hmm. You know, in a family-like environment, too. They emphasized good meals, fresh air, exercise. But, you know, they still did things like electroshock therapy. And, but the ECT clinic was mm-hmm. eventually closed because, um... It they, they just wasn't really working out for anybody. Yeah. Within this property, though, and supposedly where most of the hauntings on this campus occur, is at the Retreat Tower. Mm-hmm. The tower was built later, was built in 1887, mm-hmm. by the patients of the Vermont Asylum. Interesting. but it's now known as brattleboro retreat at the time doctors thought like the physical labor would help with the mental patients help them regain their stability right and it's, this is a very big tower it's a large stone tower and it was meant to provide a scenic overlook of the the entire property okay but many of the patients chose to use the tower in another manner. Oh,
1: well, you to probably fuck.
0: Um, yeah, and commit suicide. Oh,
1: okay. So, yeah. Lots
0: of people would climb to the top of the tower and leap off of the tower into the rocky cliff below. So
1: a lot of people Jeez. getting off, and then a lot of people, like, getting off the planet. <laughs>
0: yeah yeah the number of suicides at this location has never been fully disclosed because they say it's a well-guarded secret. um but also probably because of so many ghostly sightings of people jumping off of this tower yeah
1: going back to that being stuck in a loop of time period
0: yeah yeah it's definitely um brought uh cause of alarm for people on the grounds people thinking that somebody is committing suicide Right. you know especially when they're like um there's no body you know
1: well yeah i'm sure if you thought you saw somebody you know jumping down from a tower and then all of a sudden there wasn't anybody there you would kind of be like um yeah that's a little weird
0: yeah but it's also pretty weird too when they sealed it off
1: huh.
0: interesting. yeah so there's no way into the place well like they open it once or twice like a year
1: mm-hmm. for
0: people to um climb the spiral staircase within the facility
1: oh so that sounds like a fun way to spend your sunday yeah
0: yeah. i mean hey like the province town tower i mean all it's quite the are climb creepy yeah and yeah there's always a lot of different things though this whole entire place is just filled with a lot of ghostly figures jumping from towers, um, disappearing before it would have hit the ground. Or like sometimes people have seen what looks like somebody hitting the ground at the very bottom of the tower, mm-hmm. but they disappear. And then another part of it that gives a really uh, creepy vibe is the cemetery since a lot of the tombstones date back to the 1800s you know uh there's a lot of bodies on this property and visitors
1: all the best properties do have a lot of bodies
0: (laughs) yeah right um a lot of people say that that there's a very heavy strong feeling of uneasiness And some people report fleeting uh, shadow figures or images at the corner of their eyes whenever they're walking through. And there is a multitude of graves marked with only numbers, or it says unknown. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. And another thing that's interesting is that The number of deaths that occurred at the retreat, from all the records since this place has opened, don't match the amount of graves that they have. There's actually more graves than there Mm. is of any deaths on record. Wow. Yeah. It's still a treatment center for mental health patients today. It's still active facility
1: interesting yeah
0: Very interesting. yeah yeah but the towers reported to be the most haunted out of all of it I'm kind of curious about that cemetery myself um just yeah, because that you. really I thought that was really interesting the fact that um there's more bodies than records they have on file since the place has been open.
2: Right. Definitely raise some eyebrows mm-hmm.
0: there. Suspicious. Very, very, very suspicious. But, yeah, that's the Brattleboro Retreat for you.
2: As a quite a tale.
0: Very intriguing. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah i mean i think that obviously it has a lot of history and Mm -hmm. if obviously all these terrible incidences happened you know in this area absolutely i
0: feel like there's definitely probably something a lot more there than what's led on to be and what's even available to public account You know, for how old it is, there's just a lot. Right. mm -hmm. So, what do you got for us, Mara?
2: So, I thought I'd close the podcast out on Slippery Skin, another distinguished Vermont cryptid. So... Uh slippery Stan has been around for ages dating you know dating previously to the 1700s um the indians know this creature and refer to it as i believe i'm pronouncing it wrong but wejuk or it's spelled w e j u k and it means wet sten. and so throughout the ages there's been a description there's been discrepancies about slippery Stan. Is it a bear? Is it Bigfoot? Is it an Indian? No one knows. But, you know, for others, though, slippery stand has been a nuisance to humanity. And humanity also regards. So, right. Stand has been a nuisance. And so around the 1700s, this was the time of frontier, you know, where there's the trappers, woodsmen, fishermen, etc. And uh, this, this ambiguous animal, you know, kind of made their livelihoods, you know, more difficult as it tended to attack or at least uh, intimidate the cows and sheep. It would push over newly stacked wood piles, throw rocks in the hayfield and poke logs into bear traps. And the first early written report about Slipperistan came from Duluth, who was a scout with from with Rogers Rangers, and uh, he passed through the then unsettled country in 1759, for having returned from a raid on Odanit, and he wrote in his journal as quote uh, the stouts were ever being annoyed for not reason by a large black bear who would large pine cones and nuts down upon us from <laughs> trees and ledges, ledges. The Indians being also disgusted and know him, call him Ouija or wet skin. So obviously this, you know, this creature has a repertoire for just being, you know, just a jerk and just, you know teasing everyone yeah
1: kind of sounds like it could be like maybe even like almost bigfoot like where he's like tossing things and you know what i mean because that's like a Mm -hmm. characteristic of um you know a lot of bigfoots they throw rocks and you know branches and
2: Mm -hmm. and there's um stories um across vermont about um about slippery skin and I'll tell you a couple of incidences. So there is one in Lemington where a tale told of an old bear that uh, terrorized uh, this part of the that area for uh, many years and ca- apparently caused quite a bit of damage. He was said to be a vicious animal and supposedly had a grudge against humans. He would destroy their fences, rip up their gardens, frighten their livestock. And just, you know, just go around and chopping their cornfields. And he was said to be, it was said to be huge. And that was always a consistent detail among witnesses was that it was freaking huge. And it said that he always ran on his hind legs, but never on all fours. Hmm. Interesting. And I have one more from uh, Maidstone. And uh, it was Another tells of an old bear that they referred to as Slippery stin. And again, it was said to be uh, a very uh, malicious creature, causing a lot of damage. He would uh, uh, knock over uh, buckets filled with sap. It would throw barbed wire into the hay rats. And it would chop on the machinery and just, uh, just mess with... <clears throat> Their homestead. And then at the time, uh, there was a governor known as Jonas Galusha, and he was known as an excellent hunter. And that uh, he de- de- declared during an election year that he would take out Slippery Skin himself. And so he claimed to have a plan to do all this, and even led a party of men um, to Maidstone, where the bear had been reportedly seen. Supposedly, he was, it was reported that he was, it was stealing a ham out of a smokehouse. (laughs) And then upon arrival, the governor noticed a bottle of ointment and proceeded to soak himself with it. And as it was, he said the scent of a female bear. And this was his plan to capture the creature. The governor then loaded his gun and went to the woods. Shortly thereafter, he came. Running out of the, sorry, he came bringing, running out of the woods towards the hunting party, with slippery stood right behind him. Says, "Out my way, boys! I'm bringing him back alive." So then, afterwards, the party scattered, and then no one was thankfully shot. He didn't. He met. He didn't get catch the bear, and he lost the election that year. Oh, interesting. Hmm. So that's a little dose of slippery skin, you know. I don't feel that you hear, you know, many, many touching upon him, but I feel like he's definitely like an underrated, or it's a def- an underrated cryptid.
1: Yeah. Also, I want to just mention that there is, because like, obviously it could be like, maybe even like a werewolf-like mm-hmm. creature. Um, there's a documentary on YouTube called The Hunting of the Hound of Cold Hollow, and it takes place in Vermont. It's like right on the Vermont Canadian border, mm-hmm. and it's about like their own pretty much local, uh, mm-hmm. you know, legend. werewolf yeah legend that they have up there. And the man who made it was a uh, journalist who like mm-hmm. went up there to study the case, and it's actually very interesting that and like interesting. <laughs> super random. <laughs> but
2: no, no, thank you. I definitely check that out.
1: Yeah, and I have a couple of honorable mentions. If you're sure. all done
2: with, I am all
0: done. Yeah, uh, let's bring them on. Yeah.
1: So, um, my uh, one of my honorable mentions is the Green Mountain Inn, which is in Stowe, which is the same place where Emily's Bridge is. Yeah, and the story behind this haunted building is has to do with Boots Berry who uh, was born in the servants' quarters in this house, later became a stable hand, and he ended up becoming, he, like, saved a bunch of people and ended up becoming kind of a local celebrity. And then things kind of got to, went to his head, and he, like, became in debt and was drinking a lot, and he ended up getting, um, you know, put in prison for some time. And he eventually came back, and there was, like, a terrible snowstorm and he went to go save a little girl that was stuck on the roof for some reason. But because he had lived there his whole life, he knew a secret way to, you know, save this girl. So the girl ended up making it. But unfortunately, Boots did not. He fell off the roof. And the story goes that visitors claim to hear the sound of dancing feet coming from the roof. And also, uh, sometimes people will report a man falling from, Mm -hmm. like, seeing a man falling from the roof of the Green Mountain Inn. And the next honorable mention I have is the, uh, Golden Stage Inn. And this was stagecoach, um... is has to do with was a very popular bed and breakfast and also was known for its great meals and historical architecture originally it was a stagecoach stop in uh southeastern vermont and many have uh said that it was an important part of the underground railroad Um, so at this point it's now a private home and, or it was a private home until it was reopened as the inn in the 1960s. Although, um, you know, it's changed hands many times. The, uh, the new the people who own it now say that there's like a very kind hearted and handsome ghostly spirit that is supposed to haunt there. He apparently looks like Robert Redford and wanders the hall in an old fashioned <laughs> sports coat. And people report hearing unexplained footsteps and, and in electrics uh, electronics turn on and off when uh, you know, in the presence of this. Oh, wow. And then finally, um, the Hayden house or the Haddon family curse. So it starts off where, um, William Haddon's mother-in-law put a curse on his family because he ended up borrowing some money from her and then never paid her back. And then she, um, ended up like dying and putting a curse on the family that pretty much like nobody was going to be profitable because he like like she pretty much thought that he had like poisoned her so that he could collect like their family could get the money for from when she died Mm -hmm. so um pretty much everybody died off in this family from an assortment of you know inexplicable illnesses and the last one to die was the daughter of um, Mr. Hayden. And she died alone, never have married in the house. And people still say to this day that you can see people wandering in the Haddon house
0: hmm. looking
1: For the treasure
0: buried there, interesting. That's that's interesting. That kind of reminds me of um, what was that? Was that in Rhode Island too, with the treasure?
1: Maybe. Oh no, that was the one in Massachusetts. Oh, is
0: that in Mass? Yeah, I remember. I can't. I couldn't remember if it was Rhode Island or Maine, but they had the those guys that were hiding the fortune on each other. That kind of reminded me a little of that.
1: Right. Right. And with that, that's pretty much sums up, yeah. um, you know, Vermont and which brings us to the close of the first season of the podcast. And we want to thank everybody who's been listening to us. Yes. Thank so and, and thank
0: you for the feedback. We are receiving it. Um yes. And we'll do our best. Sorry, we're working on the ums you know yes forgive us Most on definitely. that and you know we smoke a lot of weed so please you know be a little forgiving yeah, definitely on that.
1: something that we'll we're looking forward to coming up in the next season um so there is if you can send us an email three girls one cape at com. With any feedback you may have, you can get entered into winning a $50 gift certificate that we're giving you. Just yeah, for, for the all these
0: Amazon doing, shoppers.
1: The yeah. Right. What are you going to... If you had a $50 gift card, what would you buy?
0: Me?
2: Uh, me?
1: Yeah, both of you. <laughs> what would you guys buy?
0: Uh, um, You know, there's quite a few things right now on my list. I might I might get some new markers.
2: Ooh. A double pot for hot pot. <laughs> double pot for
1: hot pot. Yeah, that's a nice thing. I would and a couple probably of books. Order books. Yeah, I feel that. Yeah. Yeah. Beeswax. Something like that. Yeah. But whatever you do with it, you know? To each their own. You're the winner. You're the one who gets the big yeah. $50. It's like you could money.
0: buy vibrators if you wanted, you know?
1: Yeah. It's Jeff Bezos' money. It's like, you know, and, and we will... He'll do what he pleases.
0: <laughs> oh, But keep on listening and keep sending that feedback in.
1: Yeah, and send if you have any um, stories of your own or if you're interested in possibly sharing your story with us on a future episode of the podcast, definitely uh, shoot us a message. And, uh, you know, hopefully you guys have enjoyed, yeah. you know, listening as much as we have creating this and we're excited for the next season
0: yes because we got a lot of big things in store for you guys we got a lot of great projects that we're already getting organized for you guys so we can bring you some fantastic content
1: yes and we hope you guys have a lovely thanksgiving yeah and uh very merry christmas or hanukkah or kwanzaa or yule R- rabichon whatever you celebrate blessed
0: yule to all of you blessed out there Blessed Yule,
1: yes to all our fr- witchy friends out there mm. and you know we hope you guys can join us next season and we hope you can handle the truth
0: yes stay weird
1: bye bye See you next season. See you next year.
0: Yeah. Stay Stay spooky. spooky.
1: Yes.